Hello, and welcome to Planet Beyond Podcast. And this time, we are bringing you something a little bit different. In the coming months, we will hear a series of podcasts that we filmed live at the Oceanology International event in London this spring. Oceanology is all about connecting the global ocean technology community. And so we at Planet Beyond met with people who are delivering innovation that is critical to the future of ocean science and ocean health. We took a deep dive into the topics that are right at the top of the agenda, starting with the idea that in order to embrace new technology, we need the people who can develop it, understand it and use it, both now and in the generations to come. So, welcome to our live episode, The Skills to Save the Seas, where we hear Gordon Meadows, CEO of Seabot XR, and Fugro's own Director for Inspection, Maintenance and Repair, Dan Jones, talking about how we must prepare to be hit by a tsunami of technology. The maritime industry is in the early stages of, tra- of a transition to the greater adoption of remotely operated fleets. This will see greater automation of tasks which until now have relied on human decision making. Right now we are witnessing the arrival of uncrewed surface vessels and the digitalization of processes. At the same time, the modern industry is becoming more fragile. During the COVID-19 pandemic, it is estimated that as many as 400,000 seafarers were stuck on board vessels worldwide, forcing the extension of contracts. At the same time, a recent report from the shipping organization BIMCO in 2021 highlights the continuing seafaring expertise shortages globally, regardless of this transition to remote and autonomous technology adoption. In 2021, there was a shortage of over 26,000 certified officers, and it is forecast that there will be a need for more than 89,000 by 2026. Added to these challenges, recent events in, the, in Ukraine are catastrophically affecting the skill shortage, as more than 14% of the world's seafarers are sourced from the Ukraine and the Russian Federation. We're also under pressure to achieve the UN's net zero targets by 2050. Everyone is talking about the technology here, but very few are talking about the people required to make this work. Except us. Today I'm joined by Gordon Meadows, CEO of Seabot XR, and Dan Jones, Director for IRM at Fugro. Now, the maritime sector is really under pressure, isn't it, guys? Now, what are the changes that we're observing? Go into that if you could, but maybe first introduce yourselves. 
So my name is Gordon Meadowai from a, a company called Seabot, uh, uh, and I'm a CEO. And we we've been working with Fugro for the past number of years to un- help them understand the kind of migration of their workforce in and around the adoption of un- uncrewed systems. There is a tsunami coming, a tsunami, a tsunami of technology coming, and it needs leadership to assure its safe adoption. Digital transformation is changing the economy, remodeling business activities, and transforming the world of work. Many organizations in Maritime are yet to take full advantage of new innovative business models offered by this collaborative economy. As a business, we help support those market leaders embracing digital transformation in Maritime. Thank you. Dan. Hello. Um, yes, uh, Dan Jones. I'm the uh, director for the Inspection Repair Maintenance uh, Service Line based in Aberdeen. We're a, uh, a, a part of the business very much focused on uh, marine asset integrity, on subsea survey and inspection techniques. Traditionally, that's all been provided via uh, crewed vessels, which we've operated for many years in, in, in both Europe, Africa and globally. And uh, there's a huge uh, shift now in progress and and we're part of that that dynamic as we move to a a remote autonomous uh, uh, revolution, as Gordon's alluded to, uh, a a huge sea change in the way that we operate, where we're we're taking many of the personnel, in fact our our goal is to remove all persons from harm's way in that hazardous offshore environment over the coming years and still be able to deliver the high quality of data acquisition and survey techniques that we're we're known for uh, on our crewed operations. Change like this, this is normally slow, isn't it? I suspect there are always barriers to uh, these kind of developments. There's a, there's a traditional assumption in the way that things are done, a, a, uh, a rigidity perhaps in industry to, to, to change, probably a risk aversion. And, and that's definitely a barrier that, uh, through an education process, that uh, a journey we're on with our clients to ensure that we're, we're persuading and, and educating and, and ensuring that everybody is reassured that we're building the correct processes, the correct technologies, but as, as we're definitely going to be discussing hopefully today, uh, uh, John, I'm sure, the correct disciplines and the correct uh, competencies for the personnel that, that are conducting operations, much of them delivering the same data sets, the same methodologies, but being completely remote from the actual point of acquisition as we have with a traditional vessel. And are we observing changes in terms of diversity? I know we're going to dive into this deeper later on, but just as an overview. I think that that really gets to the other crux of the issue, which is is that, you know, seafaring by its nature is not always an, a, a, as as attractive to many younger people in the in their career development. It, it comes with its own constraints. People are placed in a. a a closed environment often for weeks months on end sometimes and that's not necessarily an appealing career path for, for many people whereas we see the shift to moving uh, personnel which are still very much required to ensure safe operations but skilled operations require them to be, to be located in our view in a in a in a more uh, onshore safe environment a, a position also that we can ensure that correct work-life balance which we see is not just good for for their safety but also a, a, an improvement in in uh, work-life balance and mental health potentially as well so there, there's all sorts of advantages to moving personnel from that offshore environment to onshore Jolly good. Now, Dan, you mentioned earlier then about technology. How can industry adapt to make the most of new technology? I mean, it, it, it's always, as, as said, uh, particularly in the the, uh, the offshore uh, survey and inspection type of work that we, we work in, um, there, there are barriers to change. And it, it's just because when people see uh, uh, something that's worked for a long time, they're resistant to, to that, that shift. 
we have to demonstrate through a, a robustness, through, through trials, through proof of concept, and, and we've already been doing that through uh, acquiring data and demonstrating that that quality is as good, if not better, than they can acquire, our clients in particular can acquire through traditional methods, and therefore reassure them and, and, and effectively guarantee that, that they see the same quality that they're used to, whether that data is acquired uncrewed or, or crude. Gordon, I'm sure Seabot aligns with that sort of thinking. We've been thinking about uh, people for a, lo a long time and really raising awareness of this. That the, the to, to I guess to pinch a, a lucky Martin term, the future future just because of technology isn't human less, it's human more. It's it's it's. I love that. Human. It's not human less. It's human more. It yeah. is, and it and it's, it's really and it really resonates. And, and only until you start adopting and using technology do you realise actually people are at the core of it. It's not. Uh, um, it's not about replacing humans, it's about helping humans to adapt. So the robot is not a significant threat to employment opportunities in maritime. The threat to employment for humans comes about from failing to adapt through retraining and the simulation of new skills to perform new functions through continuing professional development. Mm. So see about aligns to this mindset and we've, we've been working with Fugo over the past three years to steer this adaption. And this assimilation of new skills, knowledge and, and attributes. Uh, uh, to future proof the future, you know, the Fugro Maritime Operational Workforce moving forward as they adopt this new technology. Now, when you do this, of course, it introduces risks. When you introduce any new technology or system, then there's a chance of introducing new risks. How do we, how do we mitigate those risks? To take full advantage of this, this digital transformation, Maritime must devote more effort to build future societies permeated by a sustainable and inclusive ecosystem between humans and machines. It's actually, if we just replace the word machines and just replace it for technology, it would be less complicated and people would perhaps be less obsessed with the idea of AI. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's actually just technology and we've been integrating with technology for a long time. It's just a bit of a transition now from the, from the, from the adoption of and use of the brawn as opposed to the option and the juice of the brain. Yeah. So, and, and cleverer ways of using technology. So we need to perhaps be less obsessed about the, uh, um, the technology and, and, and be more obsessed, obsessed with the people, and that way we can manage the risks. I think another point to make, I guess with the addition of remote autonomous systems in the field of maritime operations, it, it does, it's got to be recognized, it does create opportunity, but without the right balance between humans and machines, you may also introduce new significant risks into the equal measure. So to control these risks, new systems and new ways of operating must be trialled and tested, de-risk and assured by a newly highly skilled workforce of combined humans and machine decision makers. Seabot and Fugro have, have, have forced a relationship to understand this new highly skilled workforce and that's how risks are being managed and controlled. Yes, I, I think just to add to that, probably Gordon, um, there's also the, obviously as we bring in the application of the new technologies, we also have to be consistent with the legal and regulatory frameworks that are in place at the moment and also guide some of those regulatory authorities which are, I guess, wrestling with new technologies themselves. They've had very rigid pr processes in place for, for often many, even perhaps uh, decades or, or, or longer because of the way that the maritime industry has been framed and obviously in crude operations it has has been remarkably consistent for almost centuries really in that approach um, and therefore we have to through the uh, 
the balance of our own input and, and that reassurance, as you say, through testing and proof of concept, develop those systems, including AI and the other autonomous systems, that give the uh, regulatory authorities the, uh, the, the confidence that we are on the right path and we're all working together to develop the people, the process and the technology simultaneously. I mean, often you find in these situations that um, the regulators go way, uh, find themselves way behind the innovators. Is, is that a situation that we find ourselves in here? I think it's, it's easy to kind of, it's easy to kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't say kick the regulator, but the regulator's got to regulate. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's a real balance between regulating and driving, driving technology forward. I, in my experience, I, I think that, in my experience with working with Fugu, Fugu do this very well, because as an industry, they're trying to manage the risks, and that helps the regulator. Mm. So the regulator doesn't need to fill the gap with further, uh, uh, further regulation. Mm. So it's, I think the way organizations are working is that they are being responsible to manage the risk and control those risks, so that the regulation doesn't be, have to be as rigid. Yeah. So there, there is a balance. It's always an education process, isn't it? Backwards and forwards, isn't it? You can't just, nobody's got the right answer. It's an iterative process together. Absolutely. Did you want to add, add anything to that, Dan? Um, no. no. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> could, could you describe for us what the regulator environment is now? What, what it's like now? Who's the regulator? The regulator, we've got AMO, and we've got, you know, kind of top-down approach, and then we've got the individual countries who interpret the regulations and try and, can, to try and ultimately control the risks. And I think what we, we've witnessed is that the regulators are, uh, certainly in the UK, building a workforce and building knowledge to be able to regulate in a more effective way. Right. And we've seen, I've certainly witnessed the UK flag state build, build uh, a huge headcount in this space to be able to understand this space and, and, and educate themselves to migrate and understand it so they don't stifle innovation. Yeah. But, but it's a tricky balance to get it's right. But, but at least I think they're trying. Getting it right means making mistakes, recognizing them and then moving on. And that needs to be a trusting environment. Good stuff, very good. Well, let us move on. Um, let's talk about the cultural changes do young people coming in have different expectations to what they had before? Undoubtedly, I think there's uh, a change in the way that people want to conduct their work-life balance. That's uh, definitely uh, evolved very quickly, I think, over the past two years with the, the, the COVID situation, uh, making remote working now a, a perceived uh, standard way of working in every industry. Um, so in effect, we, we saw in uh, some of our crude operations moving towards uh, remote processing, remote inspection, for example, take on a real sort of leap at the beginning of 2020, almost uh, inspired by the fact that, that operators no longer wish to see as many people offshore, that the less people we could put in harm's way because of the COVID uh, restrictions at that time was actually almost the driver that, that the industry needed to, to finally adopt some of those remote processes that, that we had in place, so we had the technologies in place, we had the, the robustness and, and uh, there was still that hesitancy to, to, to adapt to that change. I think that that's also uh, clearly relevant for, for younger generations as we, as we bring in uh, graduates and, and, uh, and uh, new recruits into the industry. 
they have different expectations for their work-life balance and it's clearly an area where remote working, remote operations and therefore remote marine operations have a, have a huge part to play in the way that we uh, bring in and attract new work, new uh, personnel to, to the workforce that we, uh, that we wish to bring and we need to, uh, to drive the industry forward. It really has accelerated what was happening, hasn't it? And I think you touched on it yourself, uh, John, that the pandemic in itself has had many, very many negative effects. Clearly, it's, it's uh, uh, had that effect on seafarers as well. Many found themselves away from home for much longer than they expected. And that's, that's perhaps changed their, their own uh, perceptions of the benefits that they maybe didn't perceive in uh, rem working from a remote location. And uh, I honestly think it's had quite a, quite a deep impact that, that will take time to, to sort of unravel, if you like, and, and, uh, and, and really sort of filter through the industry. But to operate highly technical equipment remotely, I mean, that dif that's a different skill set, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And it's, it's, uh, it's about trying to, when you're trying to understand new ways of operating, you then have to define your workforce current skill set and then you go, okay, well, if we're going to operate in a different way, what are the new tasks? Mm. And if those tasks and the knowledge, skills and abilities, do they reside within a workforce and do, do they not? And if they don't, how do you upskill someone sufficiently to be able to perform those new tasks mm. and, and maintain their, you know, maintain their, maintain their competency? Um, so very much so, the skills are, the skills are changing. Uh, a huge amount. Yeah, as I, as I think we're seeing that it's such a huge transition, it's perhaps the biggest change since uh, sail to steam and uh, it, it, the maritime industry has perhaps historically been slow to react, fear of moving away from the, the old proven models um, and that in itself I think has been uh, something we've had to adapt to very quickly within Fugro as, uh, as we've now have actually physical uh, uncrewed surface vessels now conducting survey operations in field we're discovering that the skill sets that perhaps have been directly applicable in the offshore environment need need a little bit of, of extra thought in the way that uh, those those job descriptions are defined, the skill sets that are actually required, maybe move away from the, the more physical, uh, the more mechanical hands-on disciplines that, that have been very applicable to, to offshore environments. And we move to more um, uh, software-based skill sets, to, to, to coding principles being actually required by surveyors, for example, which which traditionally maybe wasn't their uh, their primary uh, their primary focus. It's uh, it's definitely a process that we're on at the moment and then we then obviously with Gordon and, and Seabot XR's uh, uh, processes we, we, we look to um, to develop the, the disciplines and the actual uh, competencies that underpin those skill sets uh, looking ahead. I mean this, this must have quite an impact culturally on families and things you know you're bringing up children you're both seafarers there there must be loads of examples of people possibly even people moving into this industry which wouldn't have considered it before. We need to attract we need to attract serious talent into this industry yes. and the adoption of this technology will it'll open up opportunities to people who will have never considered maritime before mm -hmm. but we can't rely on those people coming to us we need to go and get them for me must upskill and scale the use of both new technology and existing technology by becoming champions of human-centered digital transformation what that means is going forward we should not only look to replace humans with certain tasks to empower them with, the, with new skills to work alongside machines, performing shared tasks and using shared decision making, but it's, it's about empowering them with the new skills to work alongside machines. 
uh, performing these, these shared tasks and, and, and using shared decision making. So, so to work together with technology, we have to clearly understand boundaries, the boundaries and the demarcation of responsibility between the task performed by the technology and the task performed by the human, and the human has got to understand what the technology is capable of, and that's crucial in this. Right. And I think perhaps something that's missed, and not by, you know, not, not by Fugru, I think, but the wider industry, is that there is, there's, there's very little reason for taking someone from a ship and putting them onto the shore if you make them worse at their job. Yeah. You've got to make them better. Yes. And the reality is that ships are already autonomous. They just happen to have people on them right now. Yeah. So we're taking them off. We make them better. We eat, um, through the through the uh, through the through the integration of technology. It's an incredibly powerful uh, a powerful thing. Well, let's dive into that then and, and talk how how we identify. You know, you talk about tasks and competencies. How how we identify what's needed and then how we go on you know, and use tools to act on that. So we produced a set of operational standards and task statements and knowledge, skills and abilities right. of, of, through which Fugu, the Fugu workforce are being trained in. And we approached the regulator in the UK and they and said, would you like to, we will donate these standards to you as, the ba as a basis to start understanding this space. Right. To which they agreed and they said, yes, this is a, a good starting point. And as a result of that, 11 other flag states joined that mass people group. Uh -huh. And, that, and it, it's something you know, we're, we're enormously proud of. It's not an international working group. It is a focus group that happens to be made up of representation from 12 flag states around the world to be able to understand new ways of operating mm. and the new tasks and skills to be able to provide advice and recommendations at that level. I mean, I find this very fascinating because this isn't a regulator. This isn't a, um, a, a larger body dictating, right, this is the path we're taking. This is the industry grabbing the reins and saying, not in isolation, look, this seems to be the, like, the way forward. Let's do it. Yeah, I, I agree. And I 100% and I, I applaud the regulator because that tells you an awful lot about what the regulator yes. thinks in this relationship. They trusted... They, they trusted industry to work alongside them and say, well, actually, who are the experts uh, in terms of what's happening and the, and the application of technology? Well, and they, they actually said, yeah, it's, it's, it's industry, and we are serving industry, not controlling industry. Mm. So there's a, a definite change in mindset. Dan, tell us how this manifests itself within Fugro. Yeah, absolutely a, a journey that Fugro have been uh, on at the, over the last 18 months as we've developed and, and now are operating our, our USV fleets. We've, we've had to look at the, uh, the teams that already existed within our organization, the, the, the marine crews, the, the survey teams, the, the other disciplines, uh, all the way through to, to the mechanics that, that maintain the vessels, to look for those overlapping synergies that, that aren't necessarily key to their roles uh, as individuals when they're on board a, a crewed vessel on a ship and see where that we can reduce and, 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 and by reduce I mean reduce the workload of, um, of individuals but, but we still require the skill sets, we still require the disciplines to, to, to be present. So it isn't about reducing people, it's about reducing the, the, the mundane tasks, the, perhaps the, the routine tasks that they're used to and filtering out the, the, the really key um, technological benefits that they can bring. 
it's definitely a, a case where we've been looking for volunteers and there have been no shortage of them. Perhaps there was an assumption that there might be difficulty attracting people to move from, from the offshore environment to onshore. We've found the, the converse opposite. It, it's an attractive, an, an alternative way for people to, to, con, to use the skills they've acquired in the offshore environment, in the marine environment, and use those skill sets, but, but located in, a, in a, an onshore location. Um, as we move towards uh, an increasing level of, of uh, remote solutions, there's, there's going to come a point where we also get um, scalable benefits, where we're operating multiple vessels with perhaps, uh, with perhaps crews able to, to monitor more than one vessel at a time. And that actually gives us advantages to, to conduct more operations rather than less. And, and, and I think, again, it's something that people have been read, readily uh, amenable to and understand the benefits for themselves and, and, uh, and the industry more widely. Will we see less traditional vessels in our ports? Are they, are they going to disappear? I think as things stand here in 2022, the idea that there will be no crewed vessels at all in the, in the marine sector seems a, a distant uh, situation. That being said, for our own perspective, uh, certainly in terms of survey and inspection operations, we, we perceive that the current fleet of USVs are capable of approximately 80% of the tasks that we'd ordinarily be able to conduct with a with a physical uh, vessel that, that's crewed, um, but whereby we can conduct uh, visual assessments, we can conduct, uh, conduct survey operations, uh, obtain a variety of survey sensor packages, uh, cathodic protection, multi-beam data, for example, all can be acquired in an uncrewed manner. When it comes to more complex, uh, heavier lifting operations or interventions, the, these may be things that, at this time at least, still require the input of human beings. That being said, even on those crude operations, we still see huge intrinsically linked benefits where we have the uncrewed uh, team members perhaps located in ROCs in remote operations centres such as those that we have within Fugro, now nine globally. And we can conduct many of the, the operations that a, somebody that looks at a screen can do offshore, we can move that person onshore, removing them from the hazardous environment even though we still will require some intervention from, uh, from crude operations uh, in certain circumstances. And the industry more widely, I guess, will, will maintain that. It will be a, a gradual shift. So how do clients view this change to remote ops and how, how can obstacles be overcome? So we're sticking with this topic of perception and we're focusing particularly on the client's perception. I know for a fact that, um, Dan, you know, when the pandemic hit us, obstacles seemed to melt away. New, new realities were uh, observed and the adoption was quite rapid. Absolutely. It, it really was one of those uh, uh, perhaps cataclysmic events that sometimes forces uh, people's hands. But, but actually there was a real positive to that. It wasn't uh, perceived in a negative way because the, many of the clients knew we were ready to offer these services. The technology had already been established. The, the communication systems underpinning them also had reached the point where it, it was truly viable. And I suppose that's one of the elements in terms of the, everything coming together. And, and that really has been the case over the last couple of years where we've actually been able to 
get the software systems that allow us to compress data sufficiently to use the bandwidths that are available in the uh, marine environment, which are not as easy as perhaps people perceive. There, there is a, an assumption that, that because we live in such an interconnected world onshore that it's very easy to establish comms to, to an offshore location hundreds of miles from, 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 from a base of operations. That hasn't necessarily been the case historically and uh, you know uh, for those of us that were, were at sea even a decade or so ago many many months could go but weeks could go by without uh, there being a, a, an established comm system between vessels and onshore gradually we've evolved those technologies and they they underpin the foundations that each layer built upon the next to to reach a point where we have the confidence to to not just conduct some of the operations offshore but to actually take a vessel into that location and and conduct operations without there being a person on board and i think as clients have gradually come to realize that with each iteration of the technology and each development of the of the uh, skill sets that underpin them the confidence is built to the point now where there is undoubtedly a desire to adapt to these technologies, not least because there are there's some obvious benefits, not not just for the safety side of things, but also from the from the carbon footprint uh, uh, impact. For example, our our current USVs burn 95% less fuel than our than our crewed operations, and, and that's an incredibly uh, beneficial element to to our clients. 95% is incredible. It's a staggering uh, statistic, but 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 a fact actually accurate one and we, we've done a variety of studies on recent operations with ROV inspection activities comparing like for like activities with our crewed vessels we, we come to, to those sort of figures it, it, it's, it's a game changer and all of our clients in, in, the, in the diversified energy sector particularly in the renewable space see these massive advantages they're, they're key drivers now for them as they look to, to how they acquire their data and how they conduct their operations in the future. So let, let's take that um, forward-looking perspective now. How can we ensure from a, a people skill perspective um, that we're going to get the oceans that we want? What skills do we need? What does the future look like? What's the path? Technology is accelerating the way in which we learn and the, and the, and the, the way we need to uh, uh, consume learning. So it, it's... So that we could, we could talk about lots of different skills and areas and so on, mm. but it's it's how we consume, how we change the way in which we're consuming that learning, and then deliver it to our workforces, yeah. and allow our workforces to to c consume that learning, and 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 it's also it's also about attributes as well, and the attributes of our workforce, yeah. because when we employ people, we kind of we employ people and go, yes, are they are they knowledgeable, but actually. Can we work with them? And and the attributes that we want are someone, you know, someone that has communication and personal skills, analytical skills, leadership skills, teamwork skills, mm. you know, uh, a, a, an ability, and, and and so on. And then it's our responsibility to make sure that that person working for us is really knowledgeable and capable, and mm. we keep them competent. Mm. So so we can. It's a, but the starting point is understanding how we're operating. Mm. And if we're doing something different than we were previously, then we need to go, right, that is different and that's going to raise risk. So we're going to identify the gap and we're going to put the mechanism in place to ensure that our workforce is capable and competent. So skills, knowledge and attributes are, are all crucial. So it is really essential that we recognise there is a change here and that we address it in that way.
Dan. I certainly think, um, John, that there's there's such a, a strong driver now. We've, we've got the momentum, and certainly from Fugro's perspective, we will be developing a fleet of uncrewed vessels that we will have uh, available to our clients over the coming years. That That's going to require some, some big changes in terms of the, the workforce dynamics. Effectively, I think with... Uh, synergies between the likes of Fugro and Seabot ourselves we're working together to create this sustainable inclusive ecosystem that that brings in humans that are capable of conducting the technologically advanced processes that are needed because it is fundamentally about digital control digital systems and 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 that requires a completely different skill set than perhaps those that were historically uh, required for marine operations that being said there are still obvious drivers that that mean that we need people to understand what it is to operate a vessel at sea so i actually think it's it, it is a real opportunity for development for diversification yes but also building on those skill sets that are already in the marine crews and the and the and the other survey and and uh, other disciplines but but changing the way we operate and changing the way we think because actually again just from a simple perspective the days for us of, of mobilizing for one client with one vessel taking that vessel to one location and conducting operations that, that that's not how these vessels will work there is no need for them to work in such a rigid undynamic manner they they have the capacity to work across multiple clients in multiple different work scopes all from one location because ultimately a switch from one to the next one job to the next on a project basis doesn't need to be the way we operate and and those discussions actually take a new way of thinking for for everybody and uh, we've, we've been on that journey with our own clients and in truth that with ourselves to to realize the the true opportunity that that, that uncrewed operations give us and to use that cliche, a real paradigm shift in, in, in the way it can be deployed, and so we've got to think differently as well. What we often hear is the more tech, you know, the higher the castle, the higher, the further we fall. The more technology that we have, and I'm thinking autonomous vessels here, you know, the more open we are to cyber attacks and all the other um, um, nasties. I think from Fugro's perspective, we've certainly developed a, a range of additional security measures to, to allow us to conduct safe operations remotely. Uh, that includes a variety of encryption uh, systems, certainly uh, increased firewalling and security systems through our, than over, over and above our standard IT sort of levels. Furthermore, we also have built in a, a number of fail-safes to the way we operate. So uh, if there are ever any situations where we lose communications, the risk assessment will always contain details of how we, we compensate for that situation. We have backup and tertiary systems in many cases, so we have redundancy built into the design. In fact, it's probably fair to say because the uh, assumed operations doesn't include people, we build the vessels with, with an assum- assumed level of, uh, of backup that perhaps isn't present in uh, crewed operations. If you look in a, in a, a Fugro rock or lock, a center, a local operation center, it's a really dynamic place, and one of the one of the core functions you wouldn't necessarily find on a bridge is the communication station or function, and the dedicated and emerging role that is in that to, to circumvent the to circumvent issues around the connection, loss of connection mm. and comms and so on, mm. and that's a crucial piece of it. So if you if you look at a, a normal fugger operation, what you see is you see an operator. And an operator is working in connection with a payload operator, and a payload operator and the the vehicle operator are working in sync with the comms function. 
And if you think of that like a, as a, a mission control center, there are three fundamental, three fundamental control points within that. So it, it, it's, it's very well established, I think, in terms of how the operations are, ha operations are con being conducted. And what's interesting is then the payload operator provides the eyes on the seabed or the object, whatever they're doing, for an expert somewhere else in the world to be able to look in and go, yep, okay, that expertise provides the means through which kind of, kind of telepresence to be able to look at that object. And there's communication links between the other region too. So, so I think as these operations start to occur, those things are starting to be thought about. You know, they have to be sorted out yeah. at the time, so, so the risk are being mitigated. And it's also a lovely example. The question brings out the fact that there are new roles being generated because of the new way of working. Brilliant. Gordon, Dan, thank you so much. So, as always, be safe, be remarkable, be the difference.